Hey guys, this is Jennifer from the Shooter's Mindset, and we are live with episode 382. Have my co-host here, Greg, how's it going? Hey everyone. And our guests of the hour, this is always a big show, two, two guests that have been on before, they're not a, a stranger to the show by any means, and always have lots of uh, engagement with their shows, but we've got Brian Litz and Francis Cologne. How's it going, Brian? Having a great night. And how about you, Francis? Awesome. Having a great night so far, too. All right. So both work for Applied Ballistics, so I'm sure y'all can guess some of the things we're going to talk about tonight. Um, but we'll start one at a time and kind of go through uh, anybody that doesn't know you. Brian, I can't imagine that many people in the shooting community don't know who you are, but just in case somebody maybe just got in, because at one point I didn't know who you were. So there we go. Um, for anybody that's kind of new to this genre, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you made it to where you are today? Yep. Um, so my name is Brian Litz. Um, I started shooting when uh, probably like a lot of people listening when I was really young. Um, you know, in the same way, a lot of people BB guns in the backyard kind of stuff, bows and arrows, slingshots. Um, anything that throws projectiles and, you know, varmint hunting through high school, I started shooting my first formal competition in high school and bench rest, the Williamsport thousand yard bench rest club in Pennsylvania was the first place I competed, um, was still into shooting through college, but didn't, uh, really have the time or money to keep up with it much. I'd make my annual pilgrimage to Camp Perry for the nationals. And that was about it. I shot, um, first bench rest and then sling thousand yard competitions, um, went to school at Penn State for aerospace engineering. It's the closest degree there was to ballistics. I tried to go for ballistics and learned that wasn't really a thing unless you go to like the Naval Academy. Um, so aerospace engineering it was, and then um, tried to get into the firearms industry right after college. But, uh, you know, I didn't have a reputation then. Nobody was hiring, whatever. So um, I got a job as a contractor working for the Air Force at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Ohio doing modeling and simulation of threat air weapons. So um, in a lot of ways, modern ballistic solvers are like simplified air-to-air -air missile models. Um, it's much easier though. There's no guidance, no propulsion, no moving platforms that you're shooting from. So it's kind of what I do as far as ballistic software now, um, that segues into what my company now does um, Apply Ballistics does a lot of ballistic software and uh, bullet performance data collection um, for things like the Kestrel uh, mobile apps and, you know, all kinds of devices and platforms that you need ballistic solvers integrated into. And we also uh, publish a number of books and DVDs on learning how to shoot. Uh, I publish a lot of articles and things like that. So, um, we recently kicked off an online academy, uh, the Science of Accuracy Academy, where we've got podcasts and uh, videos and blogs. And so that's where we're doing a lot of our instruction. Now, we used to put on seminars, but COVID kind of crushed that. And so now we're doing all the instruction stuff remotely. So that's, that's kind of, you know, and I stayed in competition all those years too. Um, won a few national championships in F class and Palma shooting, um, some international titles. So um, I used to travel and shoot a lot lately. It's been a lot of ELR shooting uh, where we take the Applied Ballistics mobile lab with the Doppler radar and run it the day before big matches and, and characterize um, 
the competitors' rifles and ammo for them, so they build gun profiles and go shoot in the match with really accurate data. So, so that's kind of the elevator pitch of my life's arc of how I've got into ballistics and what I do here. Um, so yeah, I just, I'm one of those lucky people that just really found something that I love to do at an early age and was able to stick with it and find a way to make it a career. And along the way was, um, also really lucky to, uh, bring on people like Francis and other, uh, business partners and people that work with me to help further the vision of what we do with applied ballistics, which is really to enable shooters to put rounds on target. I mean, that's the core mission statement, I think, of everything we do gets traced back to that, um, whether it's through software or improving ammunition quality or doing studies on guns, cold bore analysis. It's really just all about um, generating and disseminating information that helps shooters put rounds on target. You almost make it like cheating. <clears throat> We just move the targets further away. <laughs> we'll, keep, right. we'll keep we'll keep doing this. <laughs> That's right. I always say you're my favorite rocket scientist. So. <laughs> oh, thank you. How long is the list? Uh, <laughs> I put you on the spot. I'm sorry. I should just take a compliment and not make it hard. <laughs> well, my dad says I'm his favorite youngest daughter, so mm. it's kind of the same thing. <laughs> yeah, you come by it honest. That's right. So Francis, you're the newest member of the AB team, the Applied Ballistics team, and you kind of have an impressive resume as a shooter. You've been on the show a few times, but tell everybody kind of how you got into competitive shooting and how you came to work here. Yeah, so I'm Francis Cologne. Um, I was fortunate enough to begin shooting when I was younger with my dad, you know, like a lot like Brian, shooting 22s and BB guns and bows. Uh, slingshots. I think we've all, you know, anybody at a young age who's able to have a, you know, lucky enough to have a parent and a place to do so safely, uh, potentially not, uh, and go out into the backyard and shoot. It generally seems that you either love it or you walk away from it. And in, in my case, I loved it. Uh, much like Brian, I shot all the way through my teen years, all the way into high school and college, and then didn't have time or money to do so. Coming out of college, I went to the University of Michigan for psychology um, then went into the golf industry after that, and also went through my PGA uh, certification through Ferris State University, getting a business degree there. Uh, that allowed me to spend a lot of time in another form of ballistics, golf balls, which we have, there's a lot of similarities between what we've done here at Applied Ballistics and what I used to do with golf balls and that, you know, we modeled curves and we tracked projectiles, you know, downrange to help golfers become better golfers. And now, you know, being able to transfer a lot of those skills in how we disseminate information, how we talk to shooters, the information that, that's relevant versus not relevant, what's the key or cornerstone moment, if you will, when trying to help a shooter impact a target, um, that's a really relevant path and a relevant skill set that I'm uh, really grateful to have the opportunity to continue doing with a team like Applied Ballistics. So um, before coming to Applied Ballistics, I shot PRS. I got into competitive shooting around 2019. That was my rookie year. Prior to that, though, I was really uh, lucky and had a funny story. I met Brian, well, Brian's dad. Um, I ordered some books online and they showed up literally the same day. And I was expecting them a few weeks later because I didn't even know where Applied Ballistics was. They knock on my door while I'm in pajamas on, I think it was New Year's Eve or maybe New Year's Day. And it was Bill Litz going, hey, you order some books. 
And I mean, it caught me so off guard, but he ended up inviting me up north uh, to shoot with the F-class team. And uh, I did, it was a lot of fun. It just didn't suit my style that well. Uh, after a couple of practices, I decided I wanted to try something else. So ultimately ended up in PRS where I've spent the majority of my shooting career uh, in the last four years. So. You were rookie of the year, weren't you? Uh, nominated. It was not not voted rookie of the year. That was uh, oh, right in here. I'm mind, trying to remember, but in my mind, you're a rookie of the year. I can reapply this year. Greg said I could. <laughs> <laughs> you're robbed. You were definitely rookie of the year. No, no. it's it's fun to have been nominated. I mean, it's one of those awards that you have one shot at. It's cool, but it's just like anything else. It's a few seconds in the sun, and then after that, it's what you do with it. So, well, it's kind of like high school superlatives, too, but we won't talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, what's it like, Francis, a day in the life of working at Applied Ballistics now? What is that like? You come in and you like do like math calculations for a while, and then no, no, really, what's it like? So, it depends on the role, but I mean, in my case, I manage a lot of the uh, projects that we have going on at the lab. So if we have a new study, um, it may not be just me though, but I'll at least put a first pass to the outline of how we get project from A to B to C and see is there anything that would hurt or hinder us from trying this. And I'll just put a first test down and say, here's the result. Brian will look at it along with a lot of our team members between Mitch and Brian and Chris myself will say, is there something we we see, don't see, or we can continue and do it better? So between testing, doing BC evaluations on different projectiles downrange, setting up and running the radar at our range, as well as loading ammo, testing different configurations of ammo, uh, weapon systems, I mean, it, it gets pretty diverse. Then there's the, the high-speed camera. So the days can literally be anything from sitting at a computer running an Excel spreadsheet or MATLAB all day, to you're walking down range, shoveling dirt into a berm, trying to get berms from letting bullets slip through them. So it's pretty diverse. You do it all. Yeah, it's pretty fun. Greg, is there a live? There is. Uh, Andrew wants to know if you guys have any plans on a new book with updated BCs on the newer bullets. Um, so updated BCs, um, you used to have to wait for books to come out for those, um, but now the the quickest way to get the most updated BCs are actually through the software apps. Um, that mobile app I was talking about in the beginning, we travel that around all summer long. It goes to shooting events, any new bullet, like from the time a new bullet hits the market until we measure it with the radar and it finds its way into our library is usually a short matter of weeks. Um, which is way faster than you could ever get it, you know, in a book printed. Books have a cycle rate of about a year, you know, from the time you get information until the book is in someone's hand, that process is about a year long. Um, but with the digital, with putting the data in the cloud, it's literally the day that we test it, it's in the cloud. The example that I like to use that makes the point of how our technology is integrated is if we get, a, say there's a new bullet out there in the world, and we encounter that bullet on the range, somebody's shooting it and we've got radar. We can uh, track that bullet with radar, have its drag characterized, upload it to the cloud, 
and somebody on the other side of the planet in Australia can build a gun profile on that brand new, uh, uh, that brand new CDM that's in the library and start hitting targets with data that was generated with Doppler radar on the other side of the planet before the barrel of the test rifle is cooled. That's how fast the process is. So you don't have to wait for books to come out. That's the, in fact, I don't think that I plan to really update um, BC data in books anymore because it's changing and updating so quickly that to put it in print, by the time it's in front of you, it's outdated. So we'll continue doing books on other topics. Like there's plenty of good stuff to write about, but uh, bullet BC's bullet performance is best kept track of through the software apps. That's where we put all the latest and greatest. I'm in the healthcare industry and I can completely relate because a lot of times by the time, you know, data and, and research gets to print, it's already old. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Ever changing. What are the lives you got, Greg? Uh, Ruth wants to know, uh, do you guys have any new rim? You guys already have some existing rimfire data in the library, but do you guys have anything else new coming out rimfire related anytime soon you plan on researching? Um, nothing in particular that I can think of. I mean, it's one of those things between all the center fire that we do in PRS and ELR, we do, I think we do have a rimfire event on the calendar. Francis, do you know when that we is? Do. Yeah, it's the king, king, of, point two eight. king of point two eight. Yep. End of August. Okay. So yeah, in about a month, we'll have the mobile lab at an event, king of point two eight miles where we're going to get a lot of PDMs for shooters on a number of rimfire ammo types. There, there's a bunch in there already um, that, you know, were collected at shooting events. So um, it's, unfortunately, there's only so many of us in between centerfire, rimfire, we want to get into air rifle and muzzleloader too. And it's, it's difficult with our resources to do it all at once. Um, but we definitely plan on building out that rimfire, air rifle, muzzleloader, uh, part of our bullet library as well. Um, we've just been sticking with center fire because that's where the majority of long range precision shooters are looking for data for, for center fire. But we recognize the need for those other things too. And, and it's, it's on our list. We're actually uh, trying to procure a number of different twist rate barrels to test all the rimfire ammo types with as well to characterize, you know, now that 22s are being pushed a lot further in, you know, sanctioned competitions, People have been shooting long ways with 22s forever, but you know it's becoming more of a scored official type event, and we want to like you know provide a bit more formalized data for 22s where it's hard. You know, 400 yards and past is where the ballistic solutions for 22s seem to fall apart, and we want to we want to sort that out. We want to figure it out. Like, is there a barrel twister better? Like, how do you maintain accuracy and precision with rimfire beyond 400 yards? It seems ridiculous, but like I, I said in the beginning, just keep putting the targets further away and we have job security. <laughs> yep. And our uh, our last live one, we all better shout out and say, hey, Amanda Wheeler, you're awesome. Hey, Amanda. What's up, Amanda? She's on vacation. I don't know if she's watching now or not. She's literally on vacation yeah. watching us, talking to us in the, in the chat right now. <laughs> <laughs> she loves her job. <laughs> He's awesome. She is. She is. We all love to see her too. 
Well, we were super excited to have y'all come on the show because I know you're super busy between shooting matches and your job. And then both of you actually have podcasts that you do. So I wanted y'all just to touch on them a little bit um, and let people know about them. So Francis, tell us about Miles to Matches. Yeah, so uh, Heckler, Chad Heckler and I um, had an idea about a year and some change ago to start recording our conversations that we have at about 7.30 to 8.15, 8 o'clock in the morning and just keep them so we can capture all the good ideas that we had when we're you know barely awake. Um, that didn't pan out very well. So we ended up just thinking, let's do a podcast instead. And we've had that now since about March. We tried it back in like October, November, but the equipment was terrible. So we bought some new stuff and come to around March, April, we've started putting out what we called Miles to Matches, which is essentially just, you know, the story and the discussion that two shooters have on literally hundreds of miles going to matches. Every episode is recorded either on the way to a match, on the way back from a match, or at a match. And it's it's a really cool format for us because we can take some of the really deep dive topics that you know we talk about specific to PRS and, and hammer them out, hash them out between what we think works and what doesn't work. And we disagree, we agree, and kind of everywhere in between. Um, and Chad's also actually an applied ballistics brand ambassador. So it works out really well. Um, and one kind of unique flair between the two is miles to matches to me is very PRS centric, but it's focused more on the mindset of shooters, your preparation, your gear, and what you can do to simply gain points without actually pulling the trigger. There are some aspects, we cover a lot of the actual shooting as well, but most of what we do is between our ears. And from that, you know, we leave a lot of the heavy lifting to you know our applied ballistics team. And it's kind of weird being on both sides because um, I know a lot of the information that we're talking about, but I actually think it's better suited, better suited and better served to have that through the Applied Ballistics Science of Accuracy Academy because of the resources that are available within the academy. So uh, it's been a really fun process. The feedback has been phenomenal and we're really looking forward to uh, continuing on for the next you know, foreseeable future. It is an awesome podcast. If you haven't listened, you definitely should. Um, I listened to, I think I like binge listened on a cross country airplane flight to the first four or five of them and it was all just gold. Um, Ken West is saying thank you guys for the Miles to Matches podcast. It's very good. Amanda said it never fails when she's listening. She always misses her exit. I do the same thing. <laughs> We're just so riveting. <laughs> my favorite picture still, and I probably still have it on my phone, was at AG Cup last year of you and Chad right after you had won the two-day match. And then the third day, the scores start over, and he won that day, which was the overall. So y'all yeah. both had huge successes that weekend. Both of you had been very into your own minds and very, very focused the whole weekend. And when it was all over with, and y'all were genuinely happy for each other, when it, you know it wasn't a competition like, man, I wanted to beat him. Like y'all were genuinely happy for each other. I saw it. It's it's real, right? And after all the crowds go away. Everybody had gone down and was eating barbecue and I turn around to get in the car and you and him were both kneeling on your knees, just talking, just nobody else around, still at the range, just talking and kind of talking through things. And I, I, I said, I'm going to grab a picture of that and 
Greg's like, we should go over there. I was like, no, we should not. We should get in the car and drive away, but I'm going to take this picture and send it to him. <laughs> and I sent it to you. And um, and yeah, I, I just love that picture because of y'all's camaraderie. I think that's rare to find um, two people that are, you know, that push each other like y'all do. Yeah. You know, the what's amazing about Precision Rifle, and but not, not just the PRS. I know Brian will probably speak to the same types of relationships, but it's ex exactly that. The relationships built in the precision rifle community are some of the tightest knit, long lasting relationships that I've ever had the, the pleasure and honor of forming friendships in a sport. Um, you know, it, I, I'm not exactly sure why, sort of maybe the idea that we all know what we're trying to do is very difficult, nigh on impossible at times, things we don't know, we don't know. And yet, it's all just, honestly, we're sending money into the burn. And so we're like, yep, it's fun, but hey, let's go grab a beer. Let's talk about it and truly try to push the limits of what our, our minds, bodies, and our limits of, uh, our limits of being able to push through adversity can take because uh, a lot of what we do in the PRS is simply a challenge of mind over matter. More so than anything, you have to have good data. You have to have good dope. That's all fine and dandy, but really sticking it out in like a, say the, the Punisher, the match we just got back from where it's 105 degrees on Friday for train up. And then it's 103 degrees during the match. And it's, then it's 50 degrees and raining and 30 mile an hour winds on day three, on day two, you know, that's who pays for that? Like <laughs> yeah, for fun. Yeah. So, and then it rain in it. <laughs> yeah. It's so. funny. So, Brian, you do the Science of Accuracy Academy. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I will, but I want to, I, I as I'm listening to you guys talk about um, Chad and Francis, I had some things built up to say. Those guys, if you haven't listened to that podcast, or if you don't know those guys, um, those, those two are a special pair. I mean, they're, I think the way that their minds work together, they go down some deep rabbit holes that once you, once you're along for the ride, you'll realize that those are questions you had too. You might not have known it. You might not have got to that point yet, but it's in your path. And, and they have a way of, of rooting that stuff out, articulating it, problem solving it, and, and getting ahead of it. Be, well, one, because they shoot a lot and they encounter a lot of challenges, um, you know, but there's also a unique ability in articulating what those thoughts are, what the solutions are. And it doesn't have to be necessarily you know, 100%, this is the answer before they take action. You know, they try a bunch of stuff. They're like, well, I feel like it might be this. Well, let's try it. And, and that, it may, it may seem unscientific, but it's really the most scientific thing there is. It's experimentation. You know, it starts with a tingle. It starts with a suspicion, a curiosity, an imagination. And, but then it, that's where it starts, but then it takes the work. And those guys put in the work and they take it to the range, they compete, they put it to the test. And then they talk about it for the whole world to hear, you know, stuff that, that many would keep close to the vest as these are our winning secrets. Those guys, like many others in the community, will just offer it up because they worked hard for it. And, and like we were just talking about, the community is, is very supportive of itself, of one another. And um, so, yeah, those, I didn't want to just go by that and not, not chime in on that. Um, so yeah, that's, those guys are great. Um, it's awesome. They have a podcast, definitely listen to it. You'll, it'll make you a better shooter. Um, the, on the science of accuracy side, um, so that's the Academy we announced last time we were on here. 
we started it with just a podcast. And so we had like 40 episodes or something before we started adding, you know, videos and blogs. So if you go there now, there's not as many videos and blogs as there are podcasts. But what our, our podcasts are a lot more um, technical in, in orientation. They, uh, a lot of them will follow like a chapter of a book, you know, like a whole podcast, you know, 40, 50 minutes or so. They're usually around an hour, maybe a little less. Um, but basically a lot of it is me and Mitch sitting down and going through a chapter of a book that was maybe published five years ago. And, you know, everybody learns different. You know, some people learn by reading, some people learn by doing, some people learn through conversation. And so the books are out there, the information's there, but if you don't happen to be a, a book learning, if that's not your uh, best mode of learning, then we present it also with these podcasts, which is very conversational. And it also gives the benefit of updating the information, you know, like when we just said books are static when they're in print. If something's wrong in there, it goes uncorrected because it's in print, but the podcast gives us a chance to go back. And there's nothing I can think of that is in, in print that we've done that's wrong, but there's certainly a lot more information that we know than we did when we printed. And so the, the podcast give us a chance to, you know, articulate that, uh, expand the scope, expand the context, and just kind of do the whole topic more justice in a conversational format. Um, and so, you know, we talk about so like the outtakes, you know, like what gets published is just the, the cream that rose it. Like that is the refined final draft and all the mistakes are hidden from the reader in terms of like format or like if the test failed and we had to start over, that doesn't necessarily make it in the book, but sometimes those stories are fun or, you know, fun in, in hindsight. Um, <laughs> they are. But yeah, they give, they give a lot of context to how we go about problem solving instead of just presenting final answers. So that's what a lot of our podcasts are. But uh, we also do like less formal ones. You know, we have fireside chat episodes where me and Mitch and Francis and others will sit around and just shoot the shit about, you know, uh, how this match was run or what we like about this match or the traffic on the way to this, like whatever, it could, it could be anything. It's really just like a grab bag. PRS is better than ELR. Right. Yeah. A lot, a lot of times <laughs> it comes down to enumerating the reasons why PRS is so easy. That's, that's usually what it comes down to. <laughs> I know y'all really talk about your favorite podcast is TSM. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. That's yeah. a central topic as well. So that's, uh, so that's the, the podcast side, but uh, we're working on expanding out the blog and the videos and the data. Uh, we recently put up like over 700 bullet data sheets on there. It's literally the pages out of the Ballistic Performance of Rifle Bullets book. Um, we just moved those online. Um, every, every page of that book is, is on that academy now. So now, granted, the, the, the data is dated, like we were saying, it's, it's, it's in print. Um, but it's, you know, you got a lot of dimensional data on bullets. So for instance, I had a good idea to come into my office today talking about how we could um, put out basically a map of how to determine using the bullet drawings, a cartridge drawing and a magazine length and, and make a, a quick, easy schematic so that, um, you know, shooters who are beginning and maybe this geometry isn't second nature to them yet can take a bullet drawing, a dimension drawing put all that together and basically figure out how long of a throat they need for a certain bullet to be magazine length and, and so forth. So um, there's, there's lots of, there's lots of good information on there and there's a whole lot more to come and it's coming about through a collective effort. So internally, the, that's how ideas 
percolate up internally within AB is we just like, hey, I got an idea. And then, you know, it'll bounce around and eventually turn into action. Um, but it's also spurred a lot from, from the subscribers, you know, who are like, they have questions or if we get a lot of questions on a certain topic, then we know that's something we're going to invest some time and energy into doing some tests and presenting results on. So it really is, we've got the freedom to do whatever we want. And what we want to do is what's most relevant to, to the audience. So it's really a very organic and, um, you know, user-driven content that we have on there. Uh, podcast is probably the most fun part. Yeah, I've, I've been listening to that and I I'm not an auditory learner or like I, I don't books very well. Um, I'm a very hands-on person. I got to go and break it myself and then I know how it works. But yep. the combination of being able to either, and I haven't figured out which one works best for me, read the chapter and then listen to the podcast about it or listen to the podcast and then read the chapter. Both of them combined, it, it helps out a lot. Um, you know, cause I got someone talking to me and going into the, the little bit more details and throw in the funny story about the, you know, we tried to do this before, but the guns got stolen out of the lab because we didn't want to put them in the safe, stuff like that. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, it, it really does help a lot to have both. Yep. Yeah, we have, we have fun doing it. You got some lives, Greg? I do. Um, I have one from Adam, and I'm going to kind of shorten this up a little bit but he just wanted to give a huge shout out to applied ballistics he was having trouble with his dope um, and he sent an email with a couple of questions and literally somebody called him talked him through it for like 40 minutes and uh he shot a prs matchup in michigan and he says he's never felt so confident in his uh data before and he just really appreciates you guys it was in my squad actually well that's you that is funny that uh he ended up squatting with you yeah, yeah, I know Adam. He's a good dude. So, what other? Yeah, that is, that is exactly our mission statement right there. Is a, a guy has an interaction with us and then goes to the range with confidence and enjoys the experience. That is that is the heart of our mission statement. Then, uh, John Wade asks, "What's the furthest anybody here has shot with a twenty-two? Oh, it's not me. Um, Probably not more than like 400, 450 yards. I'd say I'm four. I, I know those are rookie numbers. <laughs> um, I'm at 730, 730, 740. That yeah, was over a, over a pond where we could walk around the, the perimeter of the shore and with targets along it. It was actually at Swanee's old range. And I ran out of elevation to the point where I, okay, there's the target. I was using the like target below, go to the skyline, couldn't see the target. I'm just aiming at the skyline, bang, and then would bring the scope down and try to find it and watch it splash in the pond like 10 to 12 seconds later. In fact, it was kind of funny because the first time I went from like 400 to 700 thinking that's about the most I think we can get out of this. Um, and I shot and I'm like, yeah, man, I don't see it. And then I, I turn and I come back and look through the scope and I see like, oh, there must be fish out there because I see something ripple on the water. And then I shoot again. No, I don't got anything. And I turn around. You see it? Nope. I go back in the scope. I see fish in the water again. And then I'm like, wait a second. It was in the same spot. It was such a long time of flight. So I got to experience what Brian gets to do when he goes to King of 
0.28 and the castle matches and all the ELR are shooting, you know, two, three miles plus where you are literally waiting in eternity for a bullet to come down so you can make a correction. It, <laughs> it, was, it was brutal. Yeah. That, that's wow. That's a super long shot there. That, that reminds me of uh, when I shot Robert Brantley's rifle at arena at 2,600 yards or whatever it was. Um, his 416 had a little bit more recoil than my 6GT. Uh, so I didn't do the best job of keeping a glass on the target. And, you know, all of a sudden I'm seeing sky and I'm like, oh, I'm going to miss seeing my miss because I just knew I wasn't going to hit it. And I squeezed the bag and I squeezed the bag and I got back on target. I'm like, yep, I totally missed that. <laughs> then you see it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you really have to be patient, and, it, and it's hard when you're on the clock doing it. The ELR matches are always – you don't get a lot of time. Compared to PRS standards, it is a lot of time. But whenever you consider that, like, your eight seconds per shot is getting eaten up just by waiting for the bullet to get to the target, you know, you got five shots, that's 40 seconds of flight time out of a five-minute block time. That's, like, nearly 20% of your – time on clock is waiting for the bullet to get to the target and it's very it's very easy to give up on it and cycle the bolt and you know like oh, i didn't see anything because it's very common also to not see anything so if you don't see anything after a while i've watched shooters several times in matches like fire shot stare through the scope wait 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 they give up on it they come out of the glass and they reload and then i will like i'm spotting off to the side not on their team and then I'll see the bullet hit. Like, man, you should have waited another two seconds. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, yep. I, I feel like knowing where the bullet lands is quite beneficial. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're, it's, a, it's, a, it's a lucky day if you see where all of your shots hit in the ELR match. There's On an unlucky day, you won't see any of them. I've, I've had days like that. And not because they're 40 feet away from the target. You know, they, they could be all right around the target. And if the ground is wet or the mirage is heavy or both, sometimes you just you fire all your shots in a day and don't see a single one. That's discouraging. Yeah, that sounds terrible. Yeah. <laughs> well, talking about, uh, talking about the amount of time, y'all do some of my favorite things that y'all do is the slow motion videos that y'all put on social media. Like I could sit and watch it for hours, especially when y'all like, have it like the bullet go and the fruit explodes and then you have the fruit go back together and the bullet goes back out of it. You rewind it. I love that. So what is the, I want to hear from both of y'all. What is your favorite thing you have shot and done the slow-mo blow up the fruit or whatever it is video? So I think those are so fun. Man, I, I've got three or four that I, it's hard to draw the line because I like them for very different reasons. Well, tell um, us why. I guess, I don't know. So I'll say the one that I thought was the most interesting because it surprised the heck out of me well, after shooting a lot of different things. We shot a Yankee candle, um, and there's a lot of things that wrap around with this, but it was a Yankee, apple-scented Yankee candle that when we shot it, one, when you see the, the amount of energy transfer from glass first and you see it instantly shatter, all the way front to back and then you hit wax it goes apart like a like a bomb like it's literally just in pieces and it's in this red pinkish mist that from the camera angle i'm like this is incredible like 
I, we were all blown away at how fast this thing came apart. I mean, it was there, it was gone. And normally we at least see pieces of it. No, it was vaporized. Well, <laughs> that's not, the cool part was the video. The coolest part, which is funny, is when we walk down range, all of a sudden I'm like, man, we're going to have a deer problem pretty soon because it smells like apples to this day out in front in like a 60 yard radius. Yankee candle apple scent is all over the entire range. Yeah, it, it's it's wild. Um, so that was one of my favorites, but not because of what you see, but because of what you smell. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I think though the watermelon was probably my favorite fruit. I never would have thought that the entire watermelon would vaporize. Like I know things like the size of apples and tomatoes. Okay, yeah, they'll be vaporized. But something as massive as a watermelon, I thought for sure there's going to be some <clears throat> bigger chunks. No, there were no bigger chunks. They were just all like tiny, like one inch was probably the biggest chunk. And they were launched up on the roof. It was, it was everywhere. Um, but some, yeah, if you go to the beginning, go to the beginning well, of that yeah. where the bullet just goes in and you can see it like sucking a vapor trail of watermelon in behind it. Like you see that it's like a black hole yep. behind that bullet sucking into there. That's my favorite fruit shot. That um, captivation, yes. Yeah, and the piece by Applied Ballistics right now ended in the parking lot, which is about 52 yards behind where we shot it. <laughs> wow. What um, caliber bullet were you shooting? That was a 243. That's somewhere in the neighborhood of like 3,400 with a varmint bullet, 3,300. That yeah. is uh, pretty awesome. I like the I like the shots that we learn things on too. Like it's the yeah. fruit and that shit's all fun, um, but I like using the camera to solve problems, like to figure things out. Like how much of the process happens within our ability to perceive, like inside of our ability, to the whole thing, right? The whole thing from when that sear drops from the trigger until the bullet's gone and you're feeling the recoil, like none of that is perceivable by any shooter other than the macro, like, yeah, there's recoil. Um, but with the slow motion camera, you can see how the parts of the gun flex. You can see how the scope flexes. You can see the bullet coming out and the rate of twist. So that's one thing that we learned that was really cool is um, we learned it on, so we were testing 416 bullets this is one of our big tests where we're just adding a lot of bullets to our library. We had a 416 Barrett test barrel. That was a one in seven, right? Our test barrels tend to be faster twisted just so that we can stabilize any bullet. Well, this is a 550 grain bullet and a one in seven at, I don't know what speed. It's probably close to 3000 feet a second, the initial load. And at a hundred yards, it was grouping like three mils, right? It was, it was huge. And we went and we backed the charge down till it grouped a little better, but it still wasn't great. We shot it on radar and the bullets looked like they were destabilizing in flight. And we couldn't figure out why, because the seven twist is more than enough. We came home from the test and shot that load on the high speed camera. And that's where we saw that the, the riflings were actually stripping the bullet. So the bullet was it was spinning up to the full one and seven, but not without scuffing the surface. It was like stripped. And the, like, we never would have known that if we hadn't seen it, like who would have guessed it's a new barrel. You know, the barrel had less than a hundred rounds on it. 
And that's the first time we'd ever seen that. And it was a special combination of a super heavy bullet, you know, hauling ass, to, you know, accelerating really fast. And the riflings, check this out. The riflings on a 416 are no deeper than the riflings on a 308, right? A 416 bore and groove diameter is 408 by 416. That's an 8,000th difference. That's 4,000th per side. A 308 has a bore diameter of 300. That's the same 8,000th, 4,000th per side. So I think that 416s need a few more riflings or maybe deeper riflings to, to address that problem. Uh, but that's, that's, that's the stuff I like using the camera for is when we can actually learn something and solve a problem or at least suggest a solution, you know, like, hey, you realize this is going on? Because I don't think anyone does because <laughs> you can't see it. I love it. Yeah, that's really wild that you're able to like literally be like, I wonder what this bullet looks like coming out the tip of this barrel at 10,000 feet per second. It's yeah, and you know, like we've had so many ideas of things that um, like gas blow-by is something when we were pro making prototype bullets, you know, gas blow-by was a big deal. Why did we know it was a big deal? Because we read on the internet, everybody worries about gas blow-by and you've got to do all these things to prevent it. And, you know, there, there's just all this literature about gas blow-by and its bad effects. And do you know how many times we have seen gas blow-by come out of a barrel, like in front of a bullet? Zero times ever in any case, even when we've made bullets deliberately undersized from the bore, there's air that comes out ahead of the bullet, just the air that was in the barrel, you know, there's that. But as far as like hot gases blowing by out in front of the bullet, never seen it, not once. We and who knows how many others have been trying to solve the gas blow by problem and all its effects. And it's not even, it's not even a problem. That's absolutely wild. Let's start calling you Mr. Mythbusters. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's the nature of a lot of what we do. I mean, we've we've got the instruments to take a look at things that usually you're just guessing about. And so we put those instruments to use and and try to use good standards of you know measurement and statistics to you know have some certainty in our results. But yeah, the combination of good statistics, good data, and and good instruments and using them right. Yeah, we're we're penetrating into areas that have really just been up to our imagination for a long time. Yeah, and we're going to yeah. dive into one of those little mythbuster things here in a minute after this. Um, we're about at the midpoint of the show. Reminder, if you're watching us live on Facebook, ask any questions you may have in the comment section, and it, um, we'll try and ask it live on air. Other ways to catch us, you can always check back on the Shooter's Mindset Facebook page. The video, videos will all stay up forever. We usually upload to all the podcast apps the night after the show. And then finally, everything eventually ends up on the Shooter's Mindset YouTube page. So that's a great place to go back and reference us, you know, with us talking about Francis has been on so many times, Brian's been on so many times, all that stuff is up there for your viewing. Um, so I hear you guys are working on a life hack to uh, come up with a way to win every AccuShot challenge ever um, called the Cold Bore Project. <laughs> yeah. I actually never heard AccuShot Challenge until I saw that email. I imagine that's part of, that's a stage type. Maybe you could explain that first. I might not be the only one that doesn't know what that is. Yep. Yeah. Uh, anyone have a card near them? So basically AccuTech gives you, gives matches a big stack of playing cards that have their logo on it. And a lot of times it'll be a stage all of its own. And you get one shot on a cold bore 
to go and uh, lay down, and the winner is the person who shot goes closest to the uh, dead center of that card. Um, and we might be able to show one of those here in a second. But it's basically a, a X reticle in the middle of their logo. And a lot of times it'll be first thing in the morning, like they'll open up the stage. That is a <laughs> I had to I had to draw it because I don't have one with me. But yeah, that's about to scale. So it's about a quarter. I mean, it's down to an inch. There's a little quarter inch spade in the center of their card. And you want to hit right there. So Okay. Yeah. There we go. Your drawing's much better than Francis's. <laughs> that's a pretty close shot there, too. Why do you think I kept it? Yeah, there we go. That's the closest I've gotten so far. So I was like, I'm keeping that. It's always at 100 yards. Yeah, uh, not always, oh. but for the most part, yes. I've shot them at 150 and 200 yards. Oh, okay. Which makes it interesting for the cards around your your card. Yeah. Somebody's not zeroed. <laughs> yeah, fun stuff. Does yeah, maybe maybe space them out a little bit more. <laughs> Okay, so yeah, now that I know what that is, yeah, so it's a cold bore exercise. Um, and the project cold bore that we've been working on, it's kind of, I've been thinking about, about doing something like this for a long time. And I was trying to get my hands around how to scope this test because there's so many different things we want to look at. And I never could figure out exactly how to scope it. So we just started doing it. You know, we're like, well, First, we'll start out looking at this, and then we'll decide where to go. And uh, yeah, our first, our first attempt at starting this. So the idea is, you've got a handful of guns, like four guns, and you have a large supply of a common ammo lot for all of them. Okay, so your ammo is the same, guns are the same. Every day you go out and shoot a single five-shot group out of each gun for the day, and that's it. And what you're noting is. The location of that of the cold bore shot in relation to where the group shows up. All right. So is your cold bore shot a flyer or not? And is it always in the same place? Like just completely analyzing where that first shot lands and not on one group or not on two groups, but at least five days in a row, we're going to shoot a group and see if there's any repeatability to that cold bore impact. And this is all shot at a hundred yards. Um, so you can really tell like if your shot is always to the right, then it's not wind, right? If your cold bore shot's always to the right, there's something mechanical, if it's at 100 yards. Um, and we're also looking at how well the rifle holds zero. So we'll take that five shot group and like note where its center is compared to your aim point. And, you know, ideally you want your rifle to hold zero within a click every time you shoot it, but that's not always the case. So we're studying how much the, the zero wanders day to day. And again, this is not bringing in any variables of different shooting surfaces or anything like that. This is a very, we're trying to do a repeatable process to baseline, like here's as good as it gets. And then, you know, in later revision, we'll bring in other variables. Um, and then the third thing we're looking at is the trends in muzzle velocity. Like, is your first shot always slow? Is your first shot always fast? Or is your first shot within the spread of the five, you know, uh, of the five shots for that group? And so those are all the major elements that will comprise the, the, uh, the character of that cold bore shot at long range. I think a lot of people don't appreciate how much good work you can do at 100 yards for a long range gun. I mean, if you're measuring groups, um, tracking zero and tracking muzzle velocity, that's all the important 
stuff that just propagates with distance. You just bring in the uncertainty of wind and all that kind of stuff. But if you're measuring muzzle velocity in zero, you kind of know what you, what's going to happen to you at long range. Um, hundred yards is just more of a uh, direct a direct look at those important elements without the variables. You're you're going to deal with the variables in the world when you go to shoot long range. But when you're figuring it out, you want to isolate. And hundred yards is a great distance to do that. Um, so what we, so the four, I won't go into the rifles that were stolen. Francis was running the first revision of this test and we got what, three days or five days in and yeah, someone broke in the lab and stole the guns. Oh my gosh. That's terrible. Uh, uh, we did get them back. We obviously reported yeah. the police and everything and they, uh, uh, I shouldn't talk too much about it, but they have recovered them. We have not recovered them yet, but the, the authorities have them. Um, but in the meantime, we rebooted the test with four different guns and the, it, we had a, a 260 Remington bolt gun, a 260 Remington gas gun, both suppressed, uh, 300 Norma MRAD also suppressed and, uh, Twenty-two, three hundred eight. No, in the second, oh, in the first one, it was a twenty-two. But second yeah. test was um, three hundred eight Browning, so just like a factory hunting rifle. And um, yeah, the results are all written up on the blog. There's like four different parts of the blog that go through each of the four rifles and what their characteristic cold bore behavior was in terms of first shot in and out of the group, group center, and uh, yeah, he's got it up there. So yeah, that's every shot, muzzle velocities, group centers, what the rifles look like. Um, we did, I couldn't resist. We were supposed to be doing five straight days of baseline with nothing changing, but I had an opportunity and uh, the opportunity to put the guns out in the sun. So that picture there in the lower right of your screen where the sun is on the side of those guns and they're throwing shadows. I wanted to test if having the gun heated from the sun on one side um, would affect the point of impact. You know, does that affect your zero? Because every other day we've been taking these guns out of the safe, like 70 degrees, bringing them over, shooting them, putting them back in the safe. So very like uh, sanitary type of treatment. But if you leave that sucker sitting out in the sun, the half the gun got to 90 degrees. And then I went and shot them. And there was a little bit of different behavior, but it's it wasn't as repeatable as I expected. Like, I expected all the gun zeros to be to one side. That's the, if there was gonna be an effect, that's what I thought it would be. And that's not what we saw. I mean, the groups did wander a little bit in different directions for a couple of the guns, but it's hard to say that was even due to the, the heating. And in retrospect, my, my opinion about that is that, you know, what I expected was the sun would heat one side of the gun and not the, the other side would be cool and so you would get that bending effect, you know, when something hot expands. Uh, but what really happened is, yeah, the sun hit the side of the gun and really heated it up. But that heat transferred through the barrel to the other side of the gun. And where the, the sunny side was maybe got up to like 90 degrees, the shady side was like 88 or 87 degrees because the heat transferred through the steel to the other side. Um, so it wasn't as differentially heated as I expected. Anyway, all that's written up in the uh, in the blog post, and we did a podcast about it too. But I, I think that's going to push later in the week. But yeah, Project Coldboard that was the first phase of it. Um, then, so for the next phase, what I did, I, that phase started with all dirty guns, 
And um, so what I did is after phase one and all that testing for five days, I cleaned all the guns with the same cleaning regime and repeated the whole process to see how a gun comes back from a cleaning. Um, you know, how many shots does it take for velocity to renormalize and groups and all that. So um, that test is done, but I've yet to write it up. So maybe later this week, we'll start pushing some uh, results from phase two of the cold bore project. And, you know, that's just the first two things. We're going to do lots of things. Next, the suppressors are going to come off. We're going to see what effect that has on groups, point of impact shift, velocities. Um, and then who knows where we go from there. But, and we'll bring different guns in through. I think Project Cold War is just going to be an ongoing blanket term for a lot of stuff that we're going to test that affects accuracy of guns um, in, in this common test format. So that was very long winded. <laughs> <laughs> but no, very, very detailed and kind of gives people an idea of what what's there now in the Science of Accuracy Academy and what to, what to look forward to. So that's really cool. Um, so let's kind of talk a little bit more about what the Science of Accuracy Academy is. Um, if you want to know a whole lot about it, you know, we talked before, go back on YouTube or go on to the, uh, one of your podcast apps. We had an entire show that we spent talking about all the details about it. Um, but basically, you know, we also mentioned earlier that like books are not like in anymore, I guess, like books are still cool, but like, if you want like fast, current, up-to-date information, the Science of Accuracy Academy is where you go to get it. Um, cause I'm sure you could write a book and then in a year I can go to the store and buy it after you spent the time writing the book and all that other stuff. But like this, you can do, and then like we can get tomorrow. So it's like what you're doing right now in small chunks. Yeah. Um, but the academy, the academy has a huge benefit over books. Other than, I mean, the books have their place, and they're a great asset. If you don't own them, honestly, you should. They're they're on my uh, shelf back here. I don't know if you can there. see them. They're right there. There you go. There's all the books. Um, I've had them for years. But the academy is with you all the time. If you have your phone, if you have your iPad, your tablet, your uh, whatever it is that you use to consume media digitally, you have at your fingertips all of the information that you could want to become smarter every day, to learn more about ballistics, and be able to apply things that you're looking to solve. Whereas books, if you're traveling to a match, unless you pack it in your carry-on, um, you know you're kind of SOL. You have to remember what you remembered. Um, so I've been really, it's been really cool to watch the Academy growing and seeing where we're taking it because shooters are learning from it every single day. They're getting a lot of value out of it. And, you know, we think anybody who joins it will as well. Yeah, I like it. And it's a very well formatted um, webpage. Uh, you know, sometimes you go and you try and listen to something online and it's like, oh, I got a call came in and now I got to go find the website again and find where I was like it plays naturally through your phone where, you know, it shows up on your lock screen when you're listening to something. Um, so it's very, very nicely done, not not even close to, you know, any quick, 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 cheap and easy format. It's all the way there. Um, we mentioned the blog. We showed a little bit of the blog. Um, and it is nice. I was listening to a actually the first installment of the Cold War project. And then I was waiting for a meeting to start. And I was like, well, he said something about it on the blog. And it's like, oh, look, there's there's pictures. There's pictures to go along with these words. And I love pictures. <laughs> <laughs>
so like, that's the only reason I'm successful as an author because I realized that early on, like shooters like pictures, every page picture. <laughs> and, and when you do that, you don't have to write as many words. So it's a win-win. <laughs> <laughs> Same with PowerPoints. If you put pictures, you don't have to put as much content. <laughs> yeah. And you know, like we talk about that, like it's some guilty sin, like, ah, I'm cheating on my work. Cause I didn't, I just use pictures, but Pictures are worth a thousand words. You know, if you're, if you're lazy with your pictures, then you're just being lazy. But if you really have a picture that encapsulates or a graph or a table that really communicates the essence of what there is, then you should use that instead of words. And so when, when I use pictures, I try to use ones that are appropriate, not just like cool looking pictures for fun. Sometimes I use those, but not when I'm communicating. <laughs> So this blog to get the the pictures to go along with the podcast is this some sort of like premium subscription that I gotta like pay to upgrade for and get uh you know my extra ten dollars a month for the pictures? Pictures for podcasts? Yeah. There, man, it's a, it's audio. You're supposed to be driving. You don't want pictures. No, I was talking about the. So I was driving when I was listening to the podcast, but I went onto the blog after. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Is, is this some sort of like an extra that we got to pay to add on to the Accuracy Academy? No, we're trying to avoid that. I like things really simple. So if you want more pictures, I'll just add more pictures for free. <laughs> so the, uh, the cost of the blog is actually free and it's free for everybody, right? Yeah, yeah. So to access the blog, um, you just have to make a free account and then you've got access to, to the blog you can read for free. Um, but the, yeah, everything else is, is subscription-based. Um, I mean, it's been $10 a month since the beginning, since it was just a podcast. And like I said, we've now got um, videos and we just keep adding stuff to it. Uh, but it's, it's still just $10 a month. So we're not greedy, but we do need to, you know, pay our way and, and be able to keep doing these experiments. So the experiment, science doesn't do itself. <laughs> When are y'all is going to end up getting a, a message from me at like 3 a.m. at some point in time? It's like, I got an idea. We need we need to mythless this. <laughs> send it, man. Full yeah. send. I don't care what time it is. Yeah, Brian's probably up. <laughs> Depends on the night. <laughs> it's true. So, Francis, you and Chad talk a lot about mindset. You already talked about uh, miles to matches and how y'all really get into the the mindset and what, you know, it, it's very, very big in shooting. It's a very big part of it that I think a lot of people neglect your mindset. So you have quite a resume of shooting accomplishments. You've been in a lot of the large matches. You have placed well in them. But I want you to think and tell us, what would you say has been the most mentally challenging for you? And that could be that it was because it was AG Cup or it could be because it was a success or if you had a huge failure that then such a mental challenge. Um, I just want you to kind of tell something that was a real challenge to you for mentally. It's a good question. You know, so one, I don't think that you could ever say anything is ever the most mentally challenging. I mean, it's the most mentally challenging for now, um, but then until the next one. And that's something that sort of amorphous feeling where something that's recent will always feel more severe 
and bad than something that's more um, you know in distant in your uh, in your past. So the recency and immediacy are two things that are really going to affect your perception. And personally, when something is really difficult and I feel that it's really challenging, I do my best to try to write stuff down in the moment that just feels, this is what I saw, this is what I felt, this is what I didn't like, and then give myself time. Because with time, I'm able to sort of look back and go, no, 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 that was an emotion ruling what I thought was really the root cause of what happened, that was an emotion. Um, so let me find a real cause that's actually tangible, that's not rooted in emotion. So for instance, this weekend was actually a really good example. Uh, I shot the Michigan match, which is just a one day, uh, we did a miles to matches podcast the night before I had, I think two drinks and two or three beers. And I remember waking up feeling like I'm, I feel dehydrated. I should drink some water. I had one bottle of water, just a couple of cups of coffee. And then we ended up further downrange than I anticipated with no water to drink. And mentally I got to the stage stage two and realized I'm going to be dehydrated very quickly. I can't see shots as well as I should. This isn't, this isn't right for how I normally shoot here. Fast forward, stage four, I dropped a shot, immediately know I got to go get water. This is this is going to kill my day. Wrote my dope down, come back to that, go get water a half mile away, come back, uh, drop three points on the next stage, and I feel destroyed because this was a cleanable match. The reason I dropped three points was because I transposed 1.8 and wrote 3.8 just because I was in a hurry and ready to go get water and I was thinking about anything but what was at hand. So mentally, I knew waking up, water, hydration, and sort of mental focus was going to be the ruling roost of the day to win this match. And I ended up lapsing in one step of a process that carried, its all, carried itself all the way through and cost me effectively a four-way tie for first. It would have been a five-way tie. Um, without those, you know, that those two errors that were caused by hydration. Once I hydrated, I felt pretty good. And yeah, so the most difficult match uh, mentally is honestly, it's the last match you had that you struggled. And I, I can't say that any other way because you learn, you live it, you get past it and you feel like I grew out of that. So even if it was tough, it's one of the best matches you have once you learn from it. It's kind of like childbirth. It's horrible. And then... Yeah. <laughs> later it doesn't seem that horrible but the day after you're not ever having another one <laughs> you're genetically programmed to forget that shit <laughs> you yeah. never do it it's, twice <laughs> it's something otherwise we would all be only children confirmed for you it was it was three drinks he, he counted yeah oh did he yeah yeah the first one was a little stout not gonna lie and Amanda agreed with you with three exclamation points behind her. Yes. <laughs> That's funny. I do think it's true. And I think it's, I think it's cool that you write down what you felt and what went on to be able to look at it when you've stepped away from it. I think we all get, no matter what it is in life, in shooting, whatever we get in the moment, we get heated, we get emotional about it. And you can't see the forest for the trees almost, you know? And so I think yeah. it's that you write that down. I mean, I think that all of us could take a lesson from that to write it down. And then, you know, when you've stepped back from it and you've cooled off and you're over it, then look at it and, you know, objectively look at, was that really what was going on? What was the root cause of what really happened? I mean, part of my job is we find root cause analysis. We, we find the root cause of problems. And a lot of times it's not what you thought it was at first. 
Yeah, I'm going to give that credit to Chad. That's actually Chad's concept. It's something I learned from him, um, you know, just as another aside as to why you should find somebody who can help you learn every day and be a friend and a partner in shooting and in life, um, uh, in your hobbies. Chad has, a, he's wrote several emails that he never sent. And he always calls me if he knows I'm having a really bad day or a bad match, like, okay. And he'll just nod, say yes a lot. But the next day you can count 24 hours later, I'll get a call. Hey, you passed it yet? You feeling better? No, not quite. Okay. I'll, I'll talk to you tomorrow. And I mean, he does that regularly and that's a really good trait. So I've learned, I've taken that trait as much as I can to be able to, you know, use that to my advantage because it applies not just to shooting. It is absolutely an everything type of skill to be able to think articulately and dispassionately while being passionate, if you will. So. Yeah, I think I think Francis's background in psychology too is serves serves really well because a lot of you know shooters. I think that's the that's the forest that shooters miss for the trees. You know, the shooters typically are amped up. What do you like about shooting? Well, the precision, the hand loads. Like it's a hobby. It's something you can do. You can improve. It's your process. You own it, and, and that becomes like what what sucks you into it. And that's fun too. Like there's a lot of great things to figure out and learn there but if you're serious about competing eventually you're going to have to contend with the mental aspect of things and that's that's not necessarily where that's not what drew a lot of shooters into shooting and i think it goes unrecognized as in terms of its importance like a lot of new competitors come to matches thinking you know their sense of confidence comes from the last measurement of standard deviation that they did or the last group that they shot, like that's what the entire confidence is based on is equipment centric. But in order to do well in a, in a match with adverse conditions and outdoors and all that, like you're going to have to learn some psychology. You're going to have to learn some physiology. You're going to have to learn your own body and mind and how to optimize it in difficult conditions. And, and that's, you know, being aware, step one, being aware of the the biases and the filters and the fallacies and the anchors and set points, all those things, we all are victims of those um, as, as owners of human brains. But the only advantage you have is if you can recognize those things and, and Francis is well aware of those things and does as well as any, anyone can in, in getting around them like that. Wait 24 hours, figure it out whenever you're not amped up that's that's a great way to uh subvert some of those uh human brain problems yeah and brian's no slouch at winning championships either so a lot of these things also came from time talking with him and learning you know how do you win a palma championship and an f-class championship and under the similar amount of stress if not more and in different countries at that so yeah mm -hmm. <laughs> Now, I feel like this was a knowledge bomb for everybody. <laughs> I'm like over here writing down notes. <laughs> Starts with how to not suck. <laughs> so Chad's about to chime in. I guarantee you he's going to drop a comment because you just dropped don't suck on there. I'm waiting for it. I just want to hear it. <laughs> While we're waiting for, for Chad, uh, Mike said after he took Chris Sanders' class last weekend, uh, he ordered the book with winning in mind uh, because, as we mentioned, it's like 90% a mental game and just being able and that honestly probably my biggest shortcoming as a shooter besides for the fact that I'm 
fat and not flexible and out of shape and all that good stuff. Um, just keeping my mind on what it needs to be on when it needs to be there instead of being like halfway through the stage and like, what am I going to have for dinner tonight? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Chad said, no, I got to listen to the podcast about that. And I don't think that I got to that one yet. I know I saw like an announcement on it, but I, and said, Ooh, I need to listen to that, but I haven't got, I'm, I've been slacking. I'm sorry. That'll be at work tomorrow. <laughs> so the AB lab, you said y'all are going to King of two of 0.28 mile, but what else are y'all going to coming up in the near future? Yeah. So in one and a half weeks, we're heading to the Wisconsin barrel maker for PRS event what? where we'll have uh, full staff there and it will be, tracking bullets at the Wisconsin uh, AG Cup match. So that'll be a good one to look out for. Uh, Brian, do you know if we have any more ELR matches coming up this fall? I don't think so. No, I think the Castle match in Texas last weekend was our last uh, ELR match. Okay. Yeah, then after that, we'll be heading to the King of Point 28. Um, and then next, after the King of Point 28 mile for Rimfire, I believe it is um, in Florida, where we'll be at a, um, it's the Sniper, uh, I always forget the name, Amanda will probably chime in with the actual name, if, if I could search it I would, but it'll end up taking me off video, but we're going to be in Florida for one of the uh, Altus matches, I believe it is. Kestrel Fall Classic, October 14th. There you go, Kestrel Fall Classic, yep. She might have fed us that information ahead of time. She might have. <laughs> I assume she did. When I ask questions on the show, I already know the answer, but I just ask it and play dumb so that y'all answer it and everybody else can hear it. (laughs) I was sitting here looking. We know how you do it. I wonder. We know how you do it. I wonder if Francis is going to get all these right. (laughs) That was actually kind of fun. (laughs) Yeah, and then I think our last one is the Vortex match. If we're still going to be doing that one, Um, but I know that was still a ways away in December, so that'll be neat. So a couple chances say, to come through this. Did you say gap grind? Because we won't have the mobile lab there, but I thought we were having a presence. Yeah, we will be at the gap grind as well. We're going to be doing some seminars and sort of open talks and some classes and some sort of table sides where you can come chat with us. Um, the lab won't be there, but I think you'll get just as much information out of coming to chat with the ambassadors and hanging out, getting to learn, especially if you are a new shooter going to the gap grind and you're an AM and you want to learn about you know, the basics of using a Kestrel, the basics of linking something with a pair of binos or back to AB or to your phone, great place to do it because you can come in between your true up and your training day, come get a glass of water or a beer um, after you're done and uh, come learn a little bit as well. So, Yeah, comment on that. I, th- I think it was a really good idea for us to do to do that this year. We might do more of that depending on how it goes. That being going to matches without the full mobile lab and radar, um, an observation that that I've made in the last uh, what is it now four years, last four this I think this is the fourth year of taking the mobile lab to matches, and you know we're all excited everybody's all excited to have the radar there you get the best data on your bullets and your gun, um, but that is often not the most helpful thing to the shooters. Um, you know, if you already have a gun profile built on a custom drag model for like a 105 hybrid, and then you get a PDM of your 105 hybrids out of your barrel, well, that might that might be a half a percent more accurate, maybe 1% more accurate for your gun, not an amount that's going to cause you to hit any more targets at the PRS match. However, 
in addition to improving your drag model by half a percent or one percent, you may also learn something about the operation of your ballistic device that you misunderstood or didn't know about at all, such as bullet length. You know, bullet length in a Kestrel uh, has been a problem in terms of it defaulting to an auto calc number that so bullet length is important because it goes into the stability calculation. Stability is important because it goes into your spin drift and your aerodynamic jump calculation. So if that is off by too much, you could have errors in both windage and elevation that stem all the way back to this obscure detail. The point I'm making is I think that our presence at matches, like if you look at all the shots and how much closer we have been able to bring them to center, 90% of it has been working out bugs in the, in the user's use of the ballistic tool. You know, just basic education about how to best use the tool, how to not suffer from the pitfalls, how, you know, all those pro tips of how to get the most out of your tool. And the fact that you're getting a PDM that's 1% more accurate than what's in the library potentially, um, that's really not where the biggest value is. You know, that's, you can't get it anywhere else and it's super cool, but Going to a match without the radar, I think we will still be able to do just about the same amount of good in terms of putting shooters on target through, um, you know, teaching about how to best use the tools. A lot, some people know them inside and out, but most shooters have at least some doubt or, um, you know, question about if they're using their solver right. So I'm, I'm excited to try that out at Gap Grind because we might be, we, we could go to a lot more matches if we don't bring the lab, it's, it's cumbersome and expensive. And if we can do almost the same amount of good without it, we may be doing more of that. Um, don't know yet. The, the lab and the radar is certainly way more needed in ELR events where like 1% difference in drag could put you off by several targets at two miles. Um, whereas, you know, since PRS is so easy, you could have 1% error in your drag and still <laughs> hit every target. So uh, I knew <laughs> You knew it's coming. <laughs> yeah. I think that's such a good point, though, because really, you don't know what you don't know, right? I mean, mm -hmm. a lot of times people might have the perfect BC, but then if their, you know, scope over bore is wrong or, you know, something else is entered wrong, their bullet diameter, they happen to have it wrong in there or something like that, then they're not going to be successful and they're not going to understand why. So exactly. Yeah. So part of every when we have the mobile lab somewhere, everybody gets, you know, they shoot on it, they get their data, they get the printout, they can download the PDM. But everyone also we take time and sit. We usually do groups of five and five shooters at a time as they finish shooting will come over and myself or Mitch or Francis, somebody from the AV team will sit there and explain, like, does anybody have any questions like how, and, and that's where all these questions about the Kesher, you know, in a small group of five people, um, you get a lot of good questions and shooters work out a lot of problems the day before the match and, and go into the match with a lot, a lot more squared away. So, um, yeah, that's, we can do that part without even having the radar there. So we, we might do more of that. Ryan Hay said, yeah, then they call and blame the chronograph or the Kestrel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, that, that's that's one thing that comes out of it. Like, so when we do a PDM, yep. obviously you're getting a, a BC. It's actually a, a CDM. We don't really work in BCs. Behind the scenes, it's a custom drag model, a mock CD curve. Um, that is pretty much set in stone for that barrel and lot of bullets. But the muzzle velocity, this is something we got to explain in those little breakout sessions is 
that's the muzzle velocity that you had during that test. That's a snapshot. That muzzle velocity is going to change a lot as temperature goes up and down, as you foul your barrel, as you clean your barrel. Muzzle velocity is a moving target. And that's why things like magnetospeed are great because it's super easy to put on, fire a couple shots, figure out where you're at on velocity. Um, but we tell shooters like, once you have a PDM, you do not have to mess with your drag, but you still have to keep up with your muzzle velocity. That's an ever-changing moving target yeah. that you've got to constantly collect data on. Um, and so, if it, but that's something like a shooter coming away from a radar event for the first time. They're like, hey, I got my muzzle velocity from a Doppler radar, man. I never have to change it again. It's not how that works. It's a super accurate measurement for those last 10 shots, but the the next 10, if it's tomorrow and in, in the morning is 40 degrees and you shot at 80 degrees this afternoon, muzzle velocity is going to be quite different. That's right. I think we just blame Ryan. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Anything velocity related, I think, is has got to fall on magneto speed for sure. It's going to be Ryan's fault. No, I have to give Ryan kudos because at SHOT Show, he updated my Kestrel because it was so unupdated that it required special help. Oh, you were running one one four, because yeah, when so you wrote a one one two eight or one three one, it required some big juju. That was a long update. He finally looked at me and he goes, "I'm taking your Kestrel with me to the hotel, and I'll bring it back tomorrow." And I was like, "Thank yeah. you, <laughs> thank you." <laughs> no, I, I have an idea for Magneto Speed. All right, so this is a million dollar idea. I'm just going to put it out there in open source. Okay, so. The problem with a lot of powders is they're temperature sensitive, right? So when, it, when it's hotter, your rounds go faster. Well, the way a magnetospeed works, you've got those magnetic pickup coils, two of them that pass, you know, they just measure time over distance and that's how the speed of your bullet. Um, well, if they, if they could make that bayonet out of a material that had a thermal expansion that put those sensors just far enough apart when it's hot, then your rounds will read the same velocity whether it's hot or cold outside. So you've got a temperature stable ammo according to that chronograph. Wouldn't that be a good idea? Ryan will have that design by tomorrow. Yep, you can patent it. You don't even have to put me on the patent. That's that, that one's free. That one's free. That one's free. He just wants his face on the side of the box though. I'm waiting for the call. Surely he's going to call. No, I don't need any credit whatsoever. I don't need any. I don't. You don't have to put my name anywhere near it. Ryan did confirm it was 1.14, and it took three hours. Three yeah. hours. Is how I love you, Ryan. Um, also, speaking of Kestrel, the match is called. Oh, I missed it. Um, it's back up here. The Kestrel, Kestrel, Kestrel Ballistics Experience. Um, in addition to AB being there, um, Katie from Kestrels also will also be there in the uh, in the Kestrel tent. If you have any Kestrel specific questions, Regina wants to know if the AB people can come to California in October. Our schedule was set like in February. <laughs> um, People though, I don't know. I don't. What's going on there in October? She's shooting, and she's not making it to the east, so she wants you to go there. What's the What's the event? Is it a big event? No, I don't know. She just texted me. I had to. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
You know, it's funny because what what Brian said about people learning at specifically at PRS, people learning through interactions with the AB staff, the ambassadors specifically, um, and then other shooters. There's, you know, it's a it's pretty eye opening when you have a slightly new shooter, but they understand how to run their solver just well enough to be dangerous, and they don't know that you know when you're zero is the most important the same amount at all ranges and you assume that it's always correct because of course you just zeroed your gun it's it's going to be hitting the sticker that you were aiming at but then you go out and you're actually a little bit off and then your muzzle velocity is a little bit off and you you self true to bc you know when you stack all those errors and you start having struggles at long range or even mid-range for that matter you know it can be a really frustrating experience but when you boil it back to hey we've got you know a verified bc in the app so just plug that in or you better yet use the CDM for that bullet in our library. And then from there, let's just use your muzzle velocity. And now we just have really just one variable, right? Or one major variable, but that's your zero. Is your zero good? And if it's not that, it's something in the optic. In all likelihood, it's going to be scope tracking. I mean, those are the only other major variables that can really come out unless something is loose. And once you've really boiled it back to the sort of four horsemen of you know, hitting a target at mid to long range for a PRS match, it becomes a very easy experience to get and stay on target consistently at mid and short ranges for us, you know, mid to short range being up to like 1200 yards, 1300 yards. So yeah, yeah to that point, Francis, I, I saw a little bit ago, I saw a comment go by somebody said, they're like 0.1 or 0.2 off in elevation with their 105s from 300 to 800 yards. And yep. that's exactly what you're talking about. If you're off by yep. the same amount at all ranges, that is, that's most likely a simple zero offset. Mm -hmm. um, an another thing it could be is uh, inaccurate muzzle velocity. You're, if your velo muzzle velocity is off, your um, inches of drop error will grow with distance, but that it's surprisingly close to uh, consistent mill offset, like from 300 to 800, would be a good example of how you could be say 15 feet per second slow and be a 10th off from 300 to 800. Like it's, it's surprising how consistent the angular error is as a result of a muzzle velocity error. That is That's one reason. I would think yeah. it would exponentially. So you'd have more drop at a thousand and be more like 0.2 versus 0.1 at 300. Yeah. I, I thought that too. And it's, <laughs> It was, I was all the way up to, I was working out an example to, to put in a way back at accuracy and precision for long range shooting an older book. And I wanted to show like, you know, muzzle velocity truing is a really common thing that we do. And I wanted to show, um, you know, how much error there is based on a muzzle velocity error and in terms of like mills. And it was, it was such, it was such a consistent offset. As long as you're in supersonic, if you true at 800 yards, you can have like 15 feet per second of muzzle velocity error, but your trajectory will basically be within the width of a bullet all the way to 800. Now, as soon as you enter transonic and your drag curve isn't really continuous anymore, um, oh, the smoke's getting me. As soon as you go to transonic, that relationship breaks down and you do get a lot more disproportional error. But until then, um, muzzle velocity errors manifest as very consistent angular errors and drops. So to that guy who with the 105s and the error between 300 and 800, 
it could be a, either a simple zero offset or, or it could be an error in modeling muzzle velocity. Interesting. Yep. If you want to see more of that, Science of Accuracy Academy. Yeah, that's that's the kind of stuff we're on there doing all the time. And, yep. and there's, you know, so uh, we all know and love the internet, the internet of people talking about shooting and Facebook and everything. And there's the very diverse crowd. Um, one of the benefits on this, on the academy is there tends to be um, the people on there tend to be a lot more serious about what they're saying and, and their questions are a lot more informed. Like I, I really enjoy it when we get questions that it's clear that, you know, this guy has, has done the work, right? He's, he, he's read the books or listened to the podcast. Like he knows he's asking questions based on a very informed position. And that's always a very satisfying uh, conversation to have. Um, you know, not that, not that we're not going to help beginners or anything, but point being you get, there's a lot less riffraff in the Academy than there is in the general Facebook where there we've all seen the, you know, comments that are not even trying to be constructive um, that sort of muddle a conversation, but there's a whole lot less of that um, where people come to learn for serious. Yeah, and that's always the, the best place to grow versus, you know, your, your general populace of, you know, I just got a gun, what scope do I want to put on it? Or I can't hit my targets past 500 yards, what's up? Like, right. They'll ask a question like that, and by the end of 10 comments, they're explaining to you why you're wrong. <laughs> uh, yep, it reminds me of days at work sometimes. Yeah. Um, so what kind of goals do you guys have for the remainder of the year, whether it's for personal shooting, the Accurious Academy, or anything else? I'm just trying to keep my head above water, man. I'll be happy. Stay on this side of the dirt and and – just not get too far behind on work. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Francis? Um, I still have a lot of goals. Work-wise, it's been very busy as of late. So, you know, as Brian said, staying above water and uh, above board on that is is very important right now through the next 30 to 90 days as we push through into fall. Um, on the personal side, shooting front, we I still have a, another AG Cup match coming up. Uh, I'd like to get another two wins. Uh, I had one this year, want to get another two, try to round out a 300. Uh, then we have the AG Cup and the PRS finale. So, you know, I still have a lot to accomplish on that side. And it's really scheduled specifically a front heavy year so that I could take the back half and work more on practice and all of the components that I know I need to be just mentally prepared, ready, and rested for all the biggest events that we have throughout the season. Are yep. you shooting Wisconsin? Yep, shooting Wisconsin. Then I go to RCBS right behind it. Uh, then it's almost two months. I wait for the gap grind for my next pro match. So it'll be a, a good rest with some one days here and there and then some travel for the lab. So going to try to defend my King of Point two eight mile win on the PRS match side. We'll see. Shooters are getting better, though. So I think, uh, you know, Ruth and all of the Minnesota crew are probably putting in the work over the last year to try to take down that course of fire. It's, it's pretty challenging. So. That's awesome. Yeah. That's a theme. There's definitely a lot of escalation in the talent that matches. Um, Chase yeah. brings that home whenever he talks about shooting PRS, like he was, you know, he's one of the early uh, PRS shooters 
won a number of matches back when, you know, it was still really new. And like, he's, he's the first one to acknowledge these days. He's like, man, I probably wouldn't finish half pack. He's probably being a little humble, but point being that the level of competition has just increased incredibly. And, you know, a lot of that's due to the community of people all working together and helping each other. You know, we, we all know that like crowdsourcing is, it works for a reason. And in a way, even though we're going to competitions to compete against one another, the melding of ideas and information that occurs at those matches, it kind of has the effect of a hive mind and moving the whole sport forward. Well, and I think y'all have a lot to do with that also, right? Because the better the ballistic apps get, the better data that we have, the, you know, having PDMs, like you're talking about having a 1% increase in accuracy. I mean, that's, that's little, you know, and you think, oh, well, it's not that much, but you do a little bit this year and a little bit more this next year and mm-hmm. then a little bit more the next year. And I mean, it's just like athletics. You know, we have people that were, you know, nobody could run a five minute mile years and years ago. And now they're running what, three minute miles. And wow. it, they just increase, increase, increase. And I feel like the ballistics is the same way. And I think that, that y'all do play a huge role in that. AB really is the industry leader in that and getting that data out there and all of y'all's, you know, blowing up pumpkins and watermelons. Mm-hmm. It sounds like it's all just fun, but y'all are really doing a lot of scientific research to try and, you know, push that limit a little bit more, push it a little bit more and get a little bit more accurate. Like you keep saying, Brian, push the targets out a little farther, take them a little farther, take them. A little, oh, nope. Now those are easy. Take them a little farther, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, now we're hitting things that, people were not hitting years ago. So I think that y'all take some credit for that. Yeah. I mean, we, like I said, we really are passionate about what we do and we try to do the best we can at it and, you know, provide tools and information. Um, but at the end of the day, the, the, the credit goes to the shooters. Um, it still takes a lot of work. Like the stuff we put out there, everybody's got access to, but the guy that wins the match is still the guy that probably worked the hardest. Um, and, you know, and surrounded by many other guys that worked really hard too. So, you know, don't make the mistake of f- focusing in too much on the technical aspect. Um, you know, listen to both the podcast series, you know, the technical stuff and also the miles to matches to get the psychology and the mindset and the teamwork and the motivation and the, all the other stuff that adds up to um, in, improving your performance. So we're, we're doing our part, but it is just a part. I think the sport is going great places. Agreed. Really, really do. Are there any more lives, Greg? We are good on the live side. Um, Amanda and Gene are working to figure out getting everybody out to California, it sounds like. <laughs> yeah, she texted me and told me it's a PRS match out there. Uh, the Sharpshooter Showdown. Sharpshooter, yeah. I think it's an AG Cup match as well. See, y'all should go. I think, but I don't know. So I, I almost I, commented earlier, Brian, and, and said for anyone that just joined us, Brian Litz is not on fire. He has a fire pit behind <laughs> him. Because for a while, just the way you were standing, the flames were coming right up over your shoulder and like a ton of smoke. And I was like, it almost looks like his hair, ah! you know, his shirt's on fire or something. <laughs> so it's pretty funny, but. 
All right. Well, Michigan, Michigan doesn't give us a lot of great days. And so when it's this time of year, it's not too hot and muggy, not too cold. I can keep the bugs away. I, I take my good days when I can outside. <laughs> I don't blame you. We don't have that many good days either in South Carolina, but it's for the opposite reason. <laughs> not oh, yeah. It's, no, it's because right now we melt if we go outside. <laughs> sweltering hot. Yeah. Yeah, hot and humid. All right. Well, if we are good on lives, I think we can roll it down to shout out. So we normally start with you, Greg. Yep. I have uh, GSL suppressors that are right now soaking in the garage. Uh, shooters and sharpshooters of Augusta, our local indoor and outdoor ranges. PDC Custom, most beautiful rifle chassis known to man. Uh, shooters World Powder, Hunter's HD Gold. Um, some super blind, and that super helps with that. Uh, fix it sticks because I too like to do experiments and take things apart and put them back together, sometimes the right way, sometimes not. And Bortec, back to that you're supposed to clean your stuff so that you don't like massively miss the targets. Oh, my, my, my. Francis, how about you? Um, just a shout out to Amanda, obviously. Wheeler, thank you for uh, having us on here today. Um, shout out to you guys for hosting us. Um, appreciate it as always. And a uh, quick shout out to my wife and the rest of the AB team. Uh, it's been uh, awesome to be a part of it. So I look forward to many more just like it. So. All right. Ian, what you got? Well, Francis took mine, except for his wife. Uh, I, I wasn't going <laughs> to shout her out. Um, You're not going to steal I, Lynn from him? <laughs> no, he, he, can, he can have Lynn. <laughs> uh I'll, I'll shout out. Okay. I'm, I'm a little bit competitive. I'm going to shout out the entire shooting community. Um, I think that we together, like all this stuff about helping each other out at matches and everything. Um, you know, there's a lot of bad things to say about tribalism whenever it divides people. But I think that the community that we have of shooters that are always there to help each other. I think that entire community is, is noteworthy. And I think if more people knew about that, um, they wouldn't be as reluctant to become shooters. And so and my shout outs just to, to everyone listening um, who's part of the shooting community and is part of this awesome uh, network of, you know, open source learning and uh, creativity that we have going on. That's awesome. So and Greg just had an aha moment, I think, or either Amanda just sent him something. I'm not sure yes. which. Amanda, again, on vacation with her family, looks like they're having a great trip, sitting here watching us chat. Um, she said we should do an, an AB Media Bundle giveaway. And for those of you that don't know what it is, all of those awesome books that we were talking about before. I was about to say, those are nice because I got one of those. Yes, that is very nice. So what we're going to do is I'm going to try and remember, you know what, let's do this over a week. Um, I'm not sure if we're going to have a show next week or not. But if you're still listening, um, if you share this and you have to share it someplace, not private. So if you have like a private timeline, I can't see it. So therefore, I can't know that you did it. But if you share this to a group, to your page, anything like that, um, any share counts as an entry. And next Tuesday, I'm going to set myself a reminder. We'll go and look through those who have shared um, either live on a show or we'll do it offline and make a video or something like that. Um, We'll choose one of you who shared this for a chance to win, and I don't remember the value of it, but like they're like straight up college textbooks full of super awesome information about shooting and ballistics. You will be entered to win, I believe it is five books, something like that. 
it's pretty much all of the awesomeness of knowledge books right? and i believe it's also a dvd a couple of dvds and some other things as well it's like three four hundred bucks worth yeah i think pretty it's cool. about 400 oh 280 yep. there you go but the knowledge is invaluable i mean it's like did, did brian catch on fire <laughs> brian don't cover up your camera if you're pouring gasoline on it we want to see he's just gone um but yes so share this share this video stream any place any place you share it counts as an entry if you go and post it in 50 groups and they're all groups that i can see um you will uh be entered to win and we'll do a drawing next week sounds like a plan cool so definitely do the sharing and definitely check out ab at a match somewhere coming near you hopefully and if they aren't coming near you or even if they are check out their podcasts so um how can they did we say already how they can get the um to the science academy uh, I don't know if we have, but the science of accuracy, the science of accuracy.com is uh, where you so want to go. Science of accuracy.com. And if they want to watch miles to matches, how can they watch that? Miles to matches. It's miles T O matches, uh, Spotify, Google podcasts, Apple podcasts, Podbean, And I think there's a couple more anchor is another one. So just find your favorite app. If you don't see it there, try it on Spotify or anchor or Google. It's on the, uh, the the Apple podcast for sure, because that is where I'm subscribed to you guys at. Cool. So definitely check those out. Um, I, I like how Brian pointed out. It's like the mental aspect and the technical aspect. So they really kind of complement each other very well, because you really need both if you want to be successful in this. So go check out their um, podcasts and the whole science of Accuracy Academy, because there's a ton of information there. And my shout outs are just shout out to y'all for coming on here and spending a couple of hours on your Tuesday night. I know you've got wives and families that want to see you. So um, thank you for coming on and, and doing that. It's always a pleasure. We enjoy having y'all on. So, and with that, it'll be a wrap for episode 382 and we will see everybody next time.